Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 392nd episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that brings you a whole new world of cardboard economics each and every week. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, aka at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host is Cliff Daigle, at Word of Commander on Twitter, and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. I was going to say, if you did not sing that intro, I was going to be so disappointed in you, buddy. I'm just <laughs> super impressed. Uh, hey, everybody. As always, I'm looking forward to diving in all the cool stuff that happened this week. But before we do, I want to remind everyone that this show is produced by MTGPrice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Please sign up today at MTGPrice.com to plan your specs, chat on a great Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MDG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Cliff, what are we dealing with this week? Well, this week we're going to start off with the, the metagame we can review. We've got two sweet modern challenges to talk about. Then we're going to talk about our top movers this week with a new set coming out. There's some fun things happening. Then we got our top movers online, our cards to watch, and we're going to close it out by talking about Lorcana. Alrighty, kicking off with the metagame week in review, we'll take a look at this modern challenge on Magic Online from this past Friday, September 1st. This thing was taken down by Living End, and Shardless Footfalls was in second, both of them running shard- four copies of Shardless Agent, I note. We had Green Tron with four Karn the Great Creator and three the One Ring in fourth, Blue Red Murktide in its fairly stock new list configuration with Preordains in 5th, Hardened Scales in 7th, and Black Red Scam in 8th. By far the most interesting list out of this uh, top 8 is two separate copies of uh, slightly varying black-green mid-range decks. The third place list had four copies of Goyf, four Elvish Reclaimer, a Haywire Might, two Deep Root Wayfinder from the Ixalan block, Four Orcish Bowmasters, a Go for the Throat, four Fatal Push, a Shieldred's Edict, a Springleaf Drum, a Nihil Spellbomb, and a Shadow Spear, presumably to go with their four Urza Saga, three Gris the Hunger Tide, two Call of the Death Dweller out of Ikoria. That's a sorcery that goes and returns up to three casting co- CMC worth of creatures from the yard to play, and it can basically be a three drop. A bunch of zero drops up to two creatures or a one and a two drop. Correct. Because it's limited by both CMC and number of creatures. Two creatures, three CMC. You get four Thought Seas and three Witherbloom Command to finish that list up. So that the deck is so low slung. They ba- they basically eschewed access to all of the card disadvantage elementals. And instead they're going with pure card advantage with Elvish Reclaimers, Deep Root Wayfinders, and Orcish Bowmasters, plus Grist the Hunger Tide. I note that Grist is an insect when it's not in play, so that means Call of the Death Dweller can put it back into play if it dies. Correct. Very cute. And then the other version that was in 6th place, this one had a Turok Dread Cantor, a Gilded Goose, an Extra Haywire Might, and a Collector Oof in the main, and I think a Remanap Excavator as well instead of the Tarmogoyfs. 
my question on this is what's really the um what's the elvish reclaimer really going after because i, I like the combination of getting stuff back from your graveyard that the what's the two, the remnant excavator or the other one the two drop from ixalan that does you get to replay things when you attack that's the trigger right on the deep root wayfinder it's on attack if i remember correct right when whenever deep root wayfinder deals combat damage to a player or battle surveil one then you may return a land card from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped got it so then uh i'm just really curious what land are you finding urza saga well isn't that an enchantment it's still a land it's a land and an enchantment well that makes that has to be a a lot better Yeah, it's an enchantment land. Okay, it, that's right. It is an enchantment land, and it gains the add a colorless ability. I thought it was just like an enchantment that gained the land, but no, no it's a land. No, it's always okay. been a land. Makes a lot more sense. Thanks a bunch. Yeah, it's it's interesting, though, because you can't go, for instance, get Baseju. You can replay the Baseju after you've put it into the graveyard by using You can the disenchant and then and get extra mileage out of it by bringing it back. That part's true. Right. And then you keep bringing back your Urza Saga, so you can keep getting your Haywire Mites back. No, note that this, this is a the first modern deck I can remember that wasn't Amulet Titan running Bounce Lands without Amulets. It's got two Golgori Rot Farm, which lets it pick the Urzas back up and do it again. It's pretty sweet. But you can't you can't do it on the final trigger, so that that's basically just getting extra Construct value. I mean, most of the time you're going for the construct value as it is because you've got all these fun little enchant uh, artifacts that are getting put into play anyway. So you're you're going to do some work. I like this, and it it clearly has tested well and played well, and there's room for uh, iteration and improvement. But four goif, how long has it been since we've seen a top modern deck with four goif? I mean, we have seen it a couple of other times recently, but. This I'm curious to see where this list ends up and whether they keep the Goyfs or go with the, the version that finished in 6th. Over in the challenge the very next day on September 2nd, we had Mono Black Control taking the whole thing down. Also a very sexy list. was This was 3 The One Ring, 2 Shieldred The Apocalypse, 4 Orcish Bowmasters, 3 Troll of Kazadum, 4 Fatal Push, 2 Cling to Dust, 4 March of Wretched Sorrow as a preferred kill spell out of Neon Dynasty. I don't think I've seen a four March deck in Modern before. Two Shieldred's Edict, four Cabal Coffers, four Field of Ruin, a Witch's Cottage, four Urborg, three Demolition Field, and eight Swamp. The Urborgs and the Cabal Coffers, of course, really let you ramp up your mana in a hurry. You've got four Karn the Great Creator, four Thought Seas, two Blood Chiefs, Thirst, and two Damnation. This is absolutely archetypal black control. I mean, the... The real sexiness here is that Troll of Khazad-dûn, you pitch it to go find your one witch's cottage, which is a swamp, and then it puts the troll back on top of your deck to do it again. Hell yes. This is why Mystic Sanctuary is banned as hell all over the place. Can you imagine if Mystic Sanctuary could be fetchable when you land cycle Lori <laughs> Lor- <laughs> Lor- revealed? revealed? That's shenanigans, yeah. That's real shenanigans. So this is very cool. I, I took a quick look to see how March of Wretched Sorrow foils were looking. It looked like they've been nibbled on since this, this deck did well, but we need to see some more of this to really create motion there. Uh, I mean, this is a format with a lot of kill spells, and it does seem like they give us a good one every six months or so. So hard to say whether March uh, will see any motion, but 
The rest of this top eight was Black Green Yawgmoth in second, Four Grist, Two One Ring, Four Bowmasters, Hardened Scales in third, Black Red Scam in fourth, Jeskai Breach making a fresh appearance in the top eight with three Rona Herald of Invasion in the main. Uh, six blue, sixth was Blue Black Mill, eighth was Hammer Time, and the other really sexy list here was Mono Brown Artifact Engine list. This one was... Uh, stuff that I've seen Aspiring Spike mess around with here and there. Ensnaring Bridge, Chalice of the Void, Expedition Map, Everflowing Chalice, Surge Node, Astral Cornucopia, A Paradox Engine, Four Mystic Forge, The One Ring, Core Tapper, Walking Ballista, Car- Four Karn, The Great Creator, and you just go off untapping and tapping all of your tappable artifacts. And then the win is presumably... This is probably a Walking Ballista kill, I imagine, or something with Karn. Yeah, it looks like a walking ballista kill, and you can also get uh, silver bullets out of the uh, sideboard with Karn, and you also have Urza Saga tokens that can take people to town uh, if you get enough artifacts in play. If you haven't done it, the uh, core tapper uh, combos with uh, the Astral Cornucopia, you play the Cornucopia for zero, tap the core tapper, put a counter on, sack your core tapper, put two more counters on, now that things happen for three mana. It's even better with uh, Chalice, too. Because you can start Chalice at two mana. But Core Tapper has a real kind of just pump it up effect when it comes to all of these effects. It's pretty That's awesome. Pretty, yeah, it's pretty cute. Moving on over to the top paper movers of the week. We've got Rise of the Eldrazi Extended Arts out of the uh, Commander Masters uh, Collector Boosters. 13 to 1550. 20% modest gains on the back of a lot of EDH Eldrazi decks wanting to run this card with super cool art that fits right into the Eldrazi decks of the day. We've got 4th Eerolingus out of Lord of the Rings Commander, 16 to 19, just for regular copies. That's just about 20% as well, and it's a combination of EDH and Legacy Demand that's pushing that one. There's that Legacy deck that's been running around uh, since the release of the set, kind of blowing people's minds. We got Command Tower Surge Foils going $4.75 to $6.75, up 42%. That's going to be the continuing targeting, continued targeting of Surge Foils from the 40k set, premium decks that came out about a year ago. Karn the Great Creator War the Spark Foils. This is the original pack foils. And keep in mind, this is from before the era of collector boosters. So there is from, there have been a couple other versions in secret layers of KGC, but the original foils just had... Uh, pack foils and the Japanese alt art pack foils, which I think are sitting at about 225 or so on TCG Player, and uh, I think I've got a series one and sitting in my uh, blue chip goodies pile that I haven't put up for sale yet. <laughs> Not su- super surprised to see this spec from way back down the cast uh, finally getting around the corner, given that they haven't given it a reprint in a master set of any kind yet, just the secret layer printings. 28 to $40, 43% gains. It is in 40,000 decks on EDH Rec and sees a significant amount of modern play. There are multiple decks in these two top eights we just looked at that run the full four copies. I mean, it's due for a print. We got it in a secret layer and that has helped, but the secret layer was non-foil and it was old border and old rules text. So it is a real pain to read those at a tournament. So I can see that going on. The only place I can see them putting this in the next year is either Secret Layer, you know, the perennial favorite for reprints, or it could be in Modern Horizons 3. I mean, Modern Horizons 3 is going to be the boogeyman for quite a while. 
the thing about MH three is they, there aren't that many reprints in MH two. Right. And I would and I would imagine that what they did with MH two for reprints was mostly they focused on a couple of cards they were bringing up from pre modern into modern, and a bunch of MH one cards they wanted to put extra copies of into the market. Now whether they feel like they need to do that with MH two cards is anyone's guess. But I wouldn't be surprised to see Foil Etch plus Borderless Foil New Art Solitude Fury Endurance, etc. Since that seems to be their kind of usual MO. And that won't leave that many extra slots for stuff like Karn. I mean, this isn't a strict a reprint set in the traditional sense. This is more of a new card set with a fairly limited number of reprints. Well... Yes, we could make a whole episode just on what could, might and might not be in Modern Horizons 3, but the number of rares they have in, in these sets is pretty significant, and Karn's always been just a rare. He was never a mythic in this version, so I think that he's a pretty solid bet to be in Modern Horizons 3 or to show up someplace, you know, a secret lair or some other ancillary product. So I, I, if I had extras that were not the Japanese alternate art, I would probably be looking at moving my pack foils that weren't in a deck. I would be up ready to go on those. This next one showing movement has my ears perked up for sure. Fanghorn Forest Surge Foil, which is the Yavimaya Cradle of Growth reprint that everybody said was going to crush their Yavimaya uh, specs, is down to just seven listings <clears throat> near Mint or LP on TCG Player. And they go... 140, 150, 200, 300, 350, 450, 700. 700, uh, Travis? <laughs> no, I don't think he's... I think this is, this probably post-dates his spec purchasing. Probably. But the... You know, this is selling onesie-twosie every couple of days, but as you and I flagged up front, there really aren't that many of these surge foils around. It felt like... may have felt that way when everybody was cracking CBs looking for the one ring for a month. But a few months out, these are starting to dry up kind of like we, you know, flagged they might. And if you're seeing these move this early, and if we look at the best of them, if you look at the top 10 priciest versions of these LTR uh, surge foils, they are all drying up. And that is definitely worth paying attention to. I don't think people need to be in a rush to sell these because these might get expensive in a hurry. And then the the overhanging question is are they going to repeat the presence of these cards in the november re-release of the lord of the rings cbs my gut says no but we don't know that for a fact yet we think we're probably going to learn in about four weeks at the vegas tournament when they show off some fancy stuff and give us some clues if they don't get included there, then I would expect to see additional motion when that is known for a fact. I can see uh, that the weekend after they reveal whether or not there's going to be uh, these versions, uh, what did they call this subset? Uh, the Relics and Realms or something like that? Realms and Relics. Realms and Relics. I can completely see that they say, we're not going to do this set. We're going to have a different reprint subset or something like that. And then all of the surge foils just vanish from TCG Player that weekend. Yeah, I think that would be a, a a quite likely outcome. If your gut is correct, I I don't know whether I would not be willing to speculatively purchase right now based on your gut or what my gut is saying because it, it it could much too easily go either way. 
This next one is Lazel Vlacketh's Champion, etched foils out of Commander Legends Battle for Baldur's Gate. They went at $1.50 to 275 This is people seeing what happened with Carlac because of her inclusion in the Baldur's Gate 3 mega-hit video game. And this is just folks following up on that, trying to target other characters that are, are present in the game. Uh, I don't know how far this one can get pushed, but I can tell you that Vlacketh wiped my entire party the other day because I lipped her off. So <laughs> at least I think it was Vlacketh. It was, it was definitely a gift god. I'm just not sure if it was the same one there that this card refers to. Uh, anyway, be careful what you say to gods when you meet them in in the uh, Baldur's Gate 3, because it's Man, that, uh, didn't you learn that lesson in Ghostbusters? Come on. <laughs> Good point. Andrel Flame of the West, foil extended art from Lord of the Rings. Technically, it's LTR+, Plus, but it's actually out of the sample packs that are associated with the Lord of the Rings Commander decks that you find these, and that's the only place you find them. And this has gone from 70 to 125, drying up another subset that we flagged as being especially rare hence why the foil extended art the one rings got over a thousand dollars early on pretty easily the question here is whether these will be repeated in the november thing i have i think realms and relics is probably safe these i'm not so sure about well we don't even know how much of the holiday release is pure reprints to begin with or how much is new cards so it could go a lot of different ways honestly and there's there's the only people who know are surely not going to tell us ahead of time. I, if I'm guessing, we're not getting foil extended arts of, of these cards, but we will get new arts of them. That in, would... In an, in an easier to pull version. Well, yeah. That, there, there's no question there'd be easier to pull. I mean, these are from Commander sample packs only, so uh, it'd be a much more widely distributed pack in a much easier to open environment. But the, the question is, what would that do to these original FEAs? Exactly. Uh, all right. So we'll see how that develops. We've also got Temple of the False Gods, Surge Foils from 40k, 450 to 9. I like this one more because it's uh, broadly applicable in EDH, even though Command Zone keeps telling people not to run these. Uh, we've also got the Dark Ritual Secret Layer version. That's the Frazetta art, which is D&D fantasy-related art. And these Dark Rituals are up from 40 to $60. So the non-foil secret layers that were $30 got you five cards plus a bonus, and just the Dark Ritual doubles the value of the drop. Seems pretty legit. So don't underestimate amazing artists when they are associated with secret layer drops. That is the lesson there. The other cards in this were, let's see, Field Marshal, Temporal Manipulation, Dark Ritual, Midnight Reaper, and Seize the Day. And I'm going to go ahead and guess that the only one still worth solid money is probably Temporal Manipulation. It is currently at $17. So mm. between those two cards, it's 77 over 33, and I think that was less than a year ago, if I'm not mistaken. It is a copyright 2022 date on it, so... Can't be too much older than that. So that that was a home run of a secret layer, that's for sure. Uh, it's a got... sweet looking piece of art too. I mean, it's just just cool. Yeah, it's cool. Hand of Emmercool looks like it's taking up the tail end of people going after Eldrazi specs. Having played tons of Zuladoc lately, I'm uh, not a fan of any of these Rise of the Eldrazi or later Eldrazi that 
focus on the Eldrazi spawns, because I don't think that's actually supposed to be a big part of the deck. You can generally be much more efficient with your mana and expose yourself less to sweepers by relying on mana rocks and ramp via your lands as opposed to putting the the small creatures in play and a nine nine a seven seven for nine with annihilator one is not actually good enough to make zuladoc <laughs> at all <laughs> so uh, this hasn't had a I, reprint I since it hasn't had a reprint in 13 14 years so the fact that it was a common it's a terrible eldrazi as eldrazi go it's only annihilator one for nine mana but there weren't all that many of these, and I can imagine that somebody just said, okay, if it's an Eldrazi, it'll sell. And it probably only took 20 of these for the price to move up significantly. So if you have them, go ahead and, and get every dollar that you can get for them. I see one LP copy having sold at $10 and one at 9 and then 7 after that. There, currently, there's only a 13 and a 20 left. So I guess if people are holding... I mean, I might have a Russian at this for all I know. I should go take a look in my... In my various binders and boxes. We've also got Reverberate Surge Foils from the 40k premium decks. $2 to $5. 150% gains. Just more Surge Foil targeting. Certainly if there's stuff that you want from any of that, you should probably be grabbing it. If you And, and right. do it because you love the art. Because some, some of the art is, you know, whatever. It's fine. Some of it's quite good. So, you know, take a look and, and see what you think you might want to have in your decks. And then leading the charge at the top of Top Paper Movers is Misbind Click out of Lorwyn, $6 to 18 Blue-Black Fairies, of course, being a prominent deck that folks are building, at least in theory. Let's take a look at EDH Rec and see what the top commanders of the week are and whether a fairy has made it into the top 10. They have not so far. The only only Wilds of Eldraine commanders that I see on here are Ariette of the Charmed Apple in third, Rowan Scion of War in 6th, and Hilda of the Icy Crown in 11th. So, I don't know that Blue Black Fairies is going to get is going to get built to a great extent except that it's one of the decks. So, yeah, it's a deck. It it might catch up in 2 or 3 weeks from now. Yeah, we'll give that a little time, but uh Mistbind Click is one of the like dare I say kind of crappier fairies in Commander cuz it taps all lands target player controls. And you have to champion a fairy, so you're like hiding a fairy underneath it. It's this feel, it's this, neat. This, yeah, this feels like it's the kind of thing you're going to put in the deck because you need to you need to fill out your fairies. But I'm not a huge believer in this card, and I'd definitely be selling at these elevated levels if you're holding. I would be too. I'm I'm definitely selling into this into this hype. It really helps that there's just the Lorwyn version and the Secret Layer version. Yes, more supply would mean that this was definitely not going to grow as much as it did. If you had asked me before I checked whether it had been in something like Modern Masters or Modern Masters 2015, I would have said yes. I just would have assumed, but it wasn't. They haven't really reprinted Champion a thingy, so that's a, that's a mechanic they haven't really gone back to. Over in, on Magic Online, we've got three major movers that were not related to Wilds of Eldraine, since most of the data is going to be static from all of those cards being added to the system. I picked out that Chrome Mox from uh, Extend EMA, which is a treasure chest version, I think is... Well, four tickets in 22 to 5.62 tickets, 33% gains. We have Archon of Cruelty out of MH2 going 4.49 to 7.21. That's 60% gains. And Castle Lockthwain, which I had to double check whether it was in the mono black deck in Modern, but it wasn't, uh, going 2.79 ticks to 4.59, 64% gains. 
That is a surprise, but I guess it, it's getting enough value from its lands that it doesn't really need to. I'm going to have to assume it's Pioneer Demand, because I can't think of what else it would be. Yeah, well, it can't be Standard, and it must be Pioneer, then. And there's no Mono mono Black Commanders in the top anything. 20. 20. <laughs> in fact, the the only Mono Anything Commanders, Zuladoc is in first right now. Uh, so I, I picked the winning horse there. Giada Font of Hope is in fourth. White, obviously. Imodane the the Pyrohammer we've already played against once in the Pro Trader pod. Very, very fun deck. I think that one's got legs. It's in 12th. And then Kenrith is technically white, but he's really five color. He's in 16th. And the only other thing even in the top 30 that's monocolored is Cranko Mob Boss. So I think there's actually a a lot to be said for Wizards continuing to give monocolored matters cards to commander players because I think they need them by, by all accounts. I'd agree with that. I have one monocolor deck, and it it feels it sometimes. Like, I've got an Iara deck, and it's a lot of fun, but it does definitely feel like, man, I would love to be able to kill that stupid enchantment. Yeah. Moving on over to cards to watch, I've got... I'm going to take a look at this Call of the Death Dweller, because this deck, the black-green deck, if it had only shown up once, that's that's fine, but I've seen it show up in multiple top eights this week, and... It's never really been a presence in the format. It doesn't have much of a following EDH. So you're really just paying attention to how many black-green players will there be in the next 6 to 12 months, and how many of them are going to bother foiling out their decks. I'm going to say that this this deck is going to be a, stay a small percentage of the meta, but Call of the Death Dweller foils don't have that many copies left as is. This was an Ikoria... Uh, foil uncommon so they you, you could find these pretty easily in the collector boosters but that was a couple of years ago now and we're down to just 15 listings of these you can pick them up around two two fifty three dollars at present but i wouldn't be surprised to see them go eight to ten if this deck continues to to generate a following i don't think it's the kind of card they're likely to reprint in a secret layer you know what i'm saying it just doesn't doesn't feel like that's going to be remotely a top priority and there's no other product on the schedule anytime in the next 12 months that we know about if it doesn't land in a secret layer that has makes any sense for this to get, catch a reprint in foil yeah it's not going to be in a standard set it's got you know the death touch account death touch counter and then menace counter by the way uh bringing back orcish bowmaster with call of the death dweller you sick 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 young man you're putting a death touch counter on that bowmaster how dare you well and it could be an uh a delighted halfling or an uh, elvish reclaimer plus yeah. a tarmacoif or a bowmaster so yeah that's some value it's definitely some value uh the foils have been selling at a nice little clip i see that somebody bought four near mint japanese uh non-foils on tcg there's a ton of non-foils available but you're right the foils are mostly dried up there is one person with 37 copies of this foil at $6 a shot. And this person, I think, is going to get... Actually, there's two vendors at that price point. So I think they're going to get there. I think your pick of it to go to uh, $8, it might be a little higher. I think $6 is, is where it's going to go because you've got this big wall here at 6 but I would not be displeased to sell at five ninety five, undercut these guys, and move on with my day once this gets big. I assume that this first selection from you is related to Ariette. That is correct. Uh, this is a card from Commander Masters, and you might say, well, this is kind of early to be picking a Commander Masters card, but considering all the factors going on right now, 
uh, I think this is a great play. So Ariette's the number three commander this week. It What Ariette wants is, let me make sure I read this correctly. Each creature that's enchanted by an aura you control can't attack you or planeswalkers you control. It's basically if you put an aura on something, it's goaded. And then at the beginning of your end step, each opponent loses X life and you gain X life, where X is your number of auras. So there's a lot of cool things you can do with that. But one of the top cards for that right now that's still available quite cheap is Ghoulish Impetus, which is two and a black enchantment aura. It's an enchant creature. It gets one one, has death touch, and is goaded. So even if Ariette dies, it stays goaded. Now here's the fun part. When the enchanted creature dies, return Ghoulish Impetus to the battlefield at the beginning of the next end step. So unless everything is dead, this is going to keep coming back, keep goading whatever you want to goad, and keep slamming into people with death touch. It's amazing. And yeah, I want to play fun. this in just every every black deck I can. I, I, I was immediately trying to figure out how I can play this with a bunch of the other uh, goad cards that are in red and white. So I, I got to figure out what Mardu Commander put, pulls this all together neatly. That's what I'm saying. So right now you've got about uh, 44 vendors who've got foil uh extended art copies and there's no big walls there's something like 60 copies overall total on tcg player i will grant you that there's probably a lot of products still out there i will grant you that this is relatively recent in terms of commander masters and it might be too soon on this but right now you can buy in on an fea copy for about 350 and i'm picking it to hit seven dollars i think it'll have a pretty easy double up once it starts moving, people will adjust their prices upward and it'll get there and you'll be able to do the same thing. So this is just me taking a bet on a new card and saying, like, if Ariette makes this hit, it's going to pop nicely and I'll be able to move on again. And to be clear, this is a card that, ap- that appears in the Commander Masters uh, Commander decks, so the pre-cons, and this is the fancy version you can get in the Collector Boosters. That is correct. Got it. Yeah, I mean, if Ariette stays at the top of the charts, then this makes perfect sense. What was the inclusion rate for this uh, card The inclusion Ariette? rate on this one, let me tell you real quick. 83%. Pretty high. Yeah, it's, it's the pretty, it's a top, I was surprised to see how cheap this was for being the top card for a top commander. Fair enough. So let's see if Ariette can <clears throat> hold the line for 8 to 12 weeks and really drive this home. Uh, my next selection is... Cabal Coffers, Minas Morgul, Surge Foils out of Lord of the Rings. They're LTC, but but they actually come in the Collector Booster Packs. And the thing is, if the Fanghorn Forest Surge Foils have drawn up 50% lately, these feel like they have room to move as well. There are still some copies lying around in the 180 to 190 range, and I'm thinking that they might end up in the 250 to 300 range given that we're down to 20 listings or less. Now, these started out pretty high. They were about 250 to begin with, and they have sunk down towards 200. Copies have definitely traded hands on Facebook and other social media platforms in the like 180 to 200 range. But this is Cabal Coffers. This th- We just saw a deck take down a challenge with four copies of this card. It is a mega staple in EDH with 335,000 reported decks on EDH rec. So basically, if you're in mono black, you are running this card. I have tried to run it in, in some two and three color decks with black, uh, not as successfully. But certainly if you're running 
something like Gaunty, this is you're going to reach for this right away. And this is a very flavorful, very cool version of of this that even if there are additional premiums of this card down the road, which there will be, these are rare enough that they are probably going to at minimum hold the line. Like, I don't think you're going to see these go from 180 to 140 between here and Christmas, given how things are going. They haven't steadied for a long time yet, but I'm suspicious that people will start snapping these up. I also looked overseas and you can't get any bargains on them in Europe or Japan. And that undermines to me that you are probably in pretty good shape. If we look over at Card Kingdom, for instance, and see what they are offering on all versions of the card, so far the surge foils are only backed at $70 cash, 90 credit. So it is somewhat risky in that respect. But I have a feeling that your upside is a lot bigger than your downside here. So you're saying 180-ish to the 250 range. That seems pretty reasonable. I just, my only concern is I don't think it's going to do that in the next, like, six months. I think this is a a little bit longer term than that. Because this is selling, you know, we had uh, only one copy so far in all of September. And there are only three copies sold in all of August. So it is going to take some time for it to come down. Your good news is it the the non-foil like regular copies they were dirt dirt cheap and there's not really a premium version to chase aside from this unless you want to go for like the original odyssey or judgment whichever set it was from some original it was an uncommon of all fucking things but i think this will get there you're just going to have to be patient about it you're going to have to get it and, and i'm thinking about buying one right now for actually for my iara deck like hmm, that that would have been my assumption but here's the thing we saw ancient tomb already get targeted it's currently at two listings right on on tcg player and that was bouncing off it started at over 400 got all the way down to 300 copies changing hands 250 to 270 on social media platforms and it has since rebounded and currently there are only two copies listed on tcg player one at 375 one at 500 the Cavern of Souls, Pass of the Dead, is down to 11 listings. Gemstone Caverns is at 18 listings. The Great Henge is at 18. Urborg is at 13. Wastelands at 6. This this doesn't strike me as something where buy lists are keeping pace with the market. And I, I think this is going to behave, could easily behave more like the old Masterpiece Inventions in Kaladesh, where they got real cheap, and then within a year, a lot of them were up 50 to 100%. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I got uh, no beef with that. I, I think you might be right that once once the dominoes starts falling, people are just going to be falling over themselves to to grab this because it looks really cool and it's a very chase version in a foiling that we all really like. So yeah, I'm I'm with you on that. This is a this is a solid pick. Well, and if the mono black deck becomes more of a force in modern, like this took down a challenge, so it's obviously a contender. And if it you start seeing onesie, twosie, mono black control in top eights. That would certainly perk up my ears because that means the demand for the premium versions will be significantly higher than if it's just EDH players after them. That's also true. We got to keep it, keep in mind that uh, while there's a lot of copies out there, those mono black decks make Cabal Coffers look real good. All right. Your final selection here. Uh, my other pick this week is also based off the top new commanders. We mentioned Rowan Scion of War is the number six commander this week. 400 people decide to put her online. And as people get this card in hand, they're going to go for 
the best things to do with her ability, which is tap. Spells you cast this turn cost X less to cast, or X is the amount of life you lost this turn. There's a lot of fun ways to lose life, but I'm focusing on what are you going to do with that. You're going to cast the biggest, baddest crackle with power that you can. And this is a card that you can currently pick up in foil extended art for about $17, but there's not a lot of copies left. There's only around, there's 24 vendors. Nobody has lots of copies. And I think that once these copies start getting snapped up, it's going to hit $40 and you're going to have an excellent exit on this once people start building Rowan Scion of War. In case you forgot, Crackle with Power, triple X, red, red. Crackle with Power deals five times X damage to each of up to X targets. Now, uh, Rowan does not reduce each of your Xs. It just reduces the overall cost. So you don't get to like do some really, really weird shenanigans with her. But you still do something very powerful in that you are getting quite a return on the life that you paid. It's a lot better in my Hanada deck, where it does reduce the Xs. <laughs> sure. Um, but still, just a great card in general. And these are the kind of cards that have really good showcase appeal. Deals five times X damage to each of up to X targets. That's just such a Timmy card. Just fire and... the space laser and nuke them all. Exactly. And as you said, the, the foil extended arts are now a couple of years old, and they are down to 16 listings. This could easily catch a reprint in a secret layer. Don't expect to see it anywhere else. It's not going to be in Modern Horizons 3, and it doesn't make any sense in any of the other products we've seen for the year. Could show up in a subset. Now, let, let's be honest. Just because something doesn't make sense doesn't rule anything out at this point, okay? Yeah, I, that, that's cool as an over you know overarching paradigm but in reality it not really because they're not going to throw this as a random mythic into a standard set it doesn't they printed doubling season twice in a month i can i can easily justify that versus this that's just two teams you're looking for logic and i'm saying that the logic is not always there i'm not just i'm not completely disagreeing with you i'm saying that okay but but there actually is logic that's the thing like people people keep saying there's not because, and they give it, let's use an example like doubling. All right, all right. There's there's a lack of communication between reprint teams, clearly. Yes, that's my point. But that doesn't get Crackle with Power into a standard set. It doesn't get Crackle with Power into Modern Horizons 3, where it doesn't see okay. any modern play. They, sure. Both of those teams don't communicate with each other. They saw that doubling se- they were both printing a subset that where doubling season made sense, so they printed it. But... Crackle with Power's logic would have to be much more specific because it's not a mega staple like doubling season. So, I mean, Secret Layer, totally believe that. Modern Horizons sure. 3, I, I would put big money that it, it will not show up in Modern Horizons 3. Modern Horizons 3 is not a reprint set. It's not the same as a Commander Masters. It's not the same as a Ravnica Remastered or anything like that. If this was a Ravnica card instead of a Strixhaven card, then it could be fair game for a Ravnica Remastered, but it's not. So I think Crackle with Power is, is in the same camp as the Call of the Death Dweller, where it's, just, it's probably going to get left alone for a long time. And I think that these are going to creep up, whether it's Rowan or something else later, or just trailing Hanada demand. These will just get bought off like onesie twosie every you know few days, once a week kind of thing, and then just be drawn down to being a 30 or $40 card because it's a mythic and not a rare. Does Hanada really reduce each of the X's on this? That's pretty, that's, <laughs> yeah. oh yeah, it does, huh? Because you're because well, Hanada redu- basically removes the targeting. Yeah, cost. that's pretty hot. Yeah, it's gross. 
So I, I think this is good. I think it's going to get there. You said 17 to 40 and say zero to six months. I'd be more on the six to 18 months unless Rowan really takes off hard. Uh, as we flagged earlier, Rowan is, I think, number six. Six currently? Yeah, six. And and only 20% less Rowan decks than, say, Zuladok or the Ur-Dragon. So not very yeah, the, far behind. Yeah, the new hotness is always going to be something to watch out for. The Ur-Dragon uh, is always going to be there perennially, just like Atraxa. But uh, Rowan being the new hotness, I'm thinking I want short term. And that's why I'm picking this to, you know, pop off. And then I want to move on. Alrighty. Moving over to our topic of the week, we're going to dive into the world of Ravensburger's new Lorcana game. Guess we should take this right from the top. Uh, people keep talking about Disney and how Disney is, is making this game. That is definitely not the case. This is a licensed product. So this is a board game and collectibles company out of Europe called Ravensburger that has made this game. So it does not have the full power and force of Disney marketing behind it. Though, because it is Disney has a vested interest in the product succeeding, they are partnering on various things like being able to access uh, products related to the game in the Disney store and at Disney parks and so forth. Uh, it's not limited to one subset of Disney characters, so far as I know. So, currently, we've seen a bunch of the stuff from the kids' movies your Elsas and your Mickey Mouses and your Melissa, Mal- Maleficents. And so forth, but we have not yet seen whether they will go into their back pocket and pull out Marvel characters, Spider-Man, Wolverine, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I would um, not be shocked by any of that. No, or whether they will do that with Star Wars. If um, they if they include the full stable of Disney characters, I am uh, pretty bullish on this <laughs> this game, to be honest, because Pokemon is a single property that is functionally the biggest entertainment property on the planet in terms of overall revenue but disney's not real far behind when you take all of their various ip and and throw it together and the one weakness that magic has always had is that their ip has not demonstrated a lot of crossover potential into the mainstream because their characters and narratives are not well known outside of the existing fans of the game and Ravensburger, through this license, does not have that problem. They are starting out of the gate with basically the strongest IP short of Pokemon they possibly could have had access to. And if indeed they add Marvel plus Star Wars down the road, as we have seen done in some video game products, like I think Disney Infinity. Right. There was a thing for that. Made made use of all of the properties. And so I suspect that's where they're headed here. And that gives this a lot of legs, because even if there are people right now who are just on the sidelines going, ah, I don't care about Elsa and Mickey, once they add a Star Wars-themed set, and it's set five or something, and it's Boba Fett and Darth Vader and Ashoka and whatever, and the strength of all of the Disney shows plus movies that's being put on the Disney platform starts to drag over additional fans, plus the massive Marvel Uh, fan base given that the marvel movie suite is the biggest revenue generating movie line of all time they're in a really good position and and this could be a mega 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 hit for years well uh the question i have is and you might know this better than myself so i know that 
uh, Magic has a Final Fantasy set coming out, and there was a Final Fantasy card game. So clearly, they've licensed the property from Square or Enix, Square Enix, yep. for that use. So I know there was a Marvel card game for the longest. The Star Wars card game uh, is still being. I think they still make like community led expansions of some way. So like, if you can handle the licensing issues from that, then you are correct. This could go all kinds of places because Disney's IP reaches into all sorts of realms. Like we can get, uh, if you like the classic stuff, you can get some other uh, crazy things with, like you can get, uh, you like retro frame and magic? How about a retro Steamboat Willie kind of thing going on if you like classic cartoons? Well, I mean, arguably they already did that with the very first promo for Disney Larkana. They did Mickey Mouse Brave Little Tailor. Um, That's true which is, too, which, which is a very retro-looking Mickey. Yeah, but the, but think about like for the next set that comes out in November, they've already announced that Winnie the Pooh is included. Mm-hmm. So right there, you pull that out a whole. Does, diff- that, you know, there was no Winnie Pooh, Winnie the Pooh in the first set. If you're a Winnie the Pooh fan, that pulls in a whole separate segment. Maybe your kids are into Winnie the Pooh, but they don't really know about Elsa yet. That that gives you you know an on on ramp, and there's there's a lot to be said for the combination of a scalper friendly game. Where they did this, you know, they could have gone swung for the fences on the first release, but the t- the standard wisdom in the TCG space is to leave them wanting more. So they did LGSs two weeks ago. They did the big box release last week, and people thought that when the big box inventory landed, the bottom was going to fall out of the market. But here we are, you know, a week later, and boxes are still going for three fifty plus. And I just sold a case the other day for nineteen hundred US or whatever. Uh, of four boxes and that's because the scalpers and fans just basically went around swallowing in about six seconds flat whatever was released on the big box floors right i I went to a toys r us here in in toronto because we still have those up here and there was five starter decks left by the time i got there saturday morning you were only allowed to buy two things which has been kind of the standard uh policy at a lot of big box stores and there was like two people behind me in line and then a guy that was obviously there to scoop the rest. So, you know, between when Facebook, people post a picture on Facebook and say, oh, I found this at such and such, such, and such a place, 20 people get in their car and drive to go get it. Right, because so the, the money's there. Yeah. And the thing is that like a lot of the the rares and, and lesser cards that are not staples in, in the good decks uh, in the current meta for Lorcana that's evolving are, yeah, the, the bottom's dropping out of those because the set is relatively small. So as more and more regular product gets open, there's just so many copies of those sitting on the market. But at the same time, the fancy premium pull that seems to be like one in 190 packs or something like that, the Elsa Spirit of Winter alternate art foil is, I think, the best of those right now. And it went from about, let's see, mid-late August, they were going for about 350 and now the cheapest price on TCG Player is eight twenty, and then an eight fifty, and then a nine hundred plus with nineteen listings left. So that's already pushing to be a thousand dollar plus card. The D twenty three Mickey Mouse Brave Little Taylor promo that was the initial thing given out to I think it was Gen Con or SDCC participants last summer to announce the game has been holding pretty steady around fifteen hundred, and there are a bunch of other promos that are over a thousand bucks as well. So. There's also this Elsa Snow Queen D23 promo where market on it is at 2,000, but the only copy listed on TCG Player is posted at 6,000 as a PSA 9. 
Wow. So money is exchanging hands for sure. And the question from a finance perspective is how long can this go on? I would imagine that the this is going to follow a pretty similar pattern to flesh and blood where the second set and maybe the third set are just going to be, you're still going to see demand outstrip supply and they will increase the print run, but it still won't be enough to overwhelm the market. And then as we get, say, a year to 18 months out, they're going to open the floodgates and this stuff is just going to be, you know, it's going to be like Ice Age in the second year of Magic <laughs> where it's just going to be effing everywhere. And the and it'll turn into being more like Pokemon where it has a consistent, massive release and there are some ebbs and flows kind of built into the product release schedule where some things are have a tighter release than others unexpectedly so that it keeps people guessing. And most of the cards that are worth anything will just be the hyper premiums. I mean, that, that seems to be what the, the Pokemon market is all about. And I suspect that's where this is headed. So Ravensburger, you know, has a lot of examples to look at. And what they're doing is learning from the collector booster model that Magic put together in that you can have expensive boosters you can have you need to have the big mix of super premium cards and you need to have you know lots of the more common things available so that people can actually play the game uh they have different rarity levels correct yeah the the two most expensive non-promo non-premium cards right now are legendaries uh rapunzel gifted with healing and elsa spirit of winter and maleficent monstrous dragon and rapunzel is currently at about 57 same as elsa and maleficent is about 50 and bell strange but special is also 50 and these are staples in major decks that are usually played as i think it's four of if i'm not mistaken in these decks but i have to double check and you know they're also major characters that people have other than rapunzel i suppose bell and elsa are certainly massive characters and maleficent has been has probably gained a, a bigger following now that angelina jolie has played her right so there's there's always room for like we're seeing Baldur's gate cards jumping like what's going to happen with each new frozen movie as things go but uh it goes common uncommon rare super rare legendary and enchanted so like they have rarity upon rarity upon rarity and the, enchan- so, the enchanted ones are the hyper premiums. Right. So there's dozen, the... dozens of packs to find one where people open a case of four boxes and don't even, and sometimes don't get one. But uh, they have a fifth rarity level. So, like, we have uncommon, we have common, uncommon, rare, mythic. They have common, uncommon, rare, super rare, legendary. Yeah. So keep that in mind, too, that they're they're introducing this level of rarity and. What do you what what a shock that the legendary cards are probably going to be some of the not only the most expensive but probably the most powerful. So this is something to watch out for. It's going to be a little bit more pay to play than Magic can be, and they have to to manage that carefully between like what uh, they can do and what what they design and what ends up happening in terms of prices on these things. From right now, would you advocate for somebody to buy at retail and hold? in anticipation of this first chapter becoming expensive in a year? Uh, My understanding is that first chapter is definitely getting a restock in mid-late August. Sorry, October. Um, That's going to go out through the LGS network and presumably through Big Box as well. And then there's going to be even more of it released in February. So 
as with something like magic, they're treat these as standard sets, right? And standard sets are kept in print for two years to whatever extent demand requires. And they need these cards in circulation because people need to play the game. So they're not going to shut down production of the first chapter for a while. <laughs> the, right. And and who it could end up like Modern Horizons two, where even these the cards that are currently sixty dollars have been printed into the ground so hard by a year from now that they are, despite the fact that they are competitive staples and everybody that's actually playing the game locally needs four copies, they are only ten or fifteen dollars. I I it's also possible that the the crowd of people playing will expand and expand and expand as the game gains momentum at Christmas and beyond. And that that will counter some of the supply supply flow, but it's any you don't know until the rear view when the tipping point will be reached. So, and there's also the problem that the the first chapter boxes don't have uh, shrink wrap on them, so that's just going to be so such an absolute hassle to well, get you... to get graded or or put away for any or amount to of feel time. confident about. The only way you can really do it is to keep a sealed case, but even that is not reliable because we know for a fact that even some of our pro traders got sealed cases that once cracked had German or Spanish boxes in English cases. It was uh, it was English packs in a French box, wasn't it? No, no, it's 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 French pack. Usually, it's French or Spanish packaging and French or Spanish booster packaging, but then the cards are English, so it's just the packaging that's. Even the booster pack wrapper was in the other language. Yeah, and so and then it, the cards themselves were English. That's even worse than I thought it was. Yeah, it's it's a huge mess. So it's going to be real tricky. Say ten years down the road, if Lorcana is still in a you know st- still on the menu, to it, it's hard for me to imagine what how sealed cases will be handled then, because there's not going to be any way to know what exactly is in them till you crack them. And I would imagine they're gonna they really are gonna print most of the the relevant staples into the ground. This is it's not even just about how long they keep the first chapter in print. It's like whether the, what their reprint policy is gonna be. Like if they have a hot mythic from this and they stop printing it and then they print the fourth chapter or whatever, are they gonna throw that a reprint right in there or are they gonna wait five to ten years to start reprinting things once they put them out of print? We don't know yet. So We've just told everybody, listen, there's a super, super good high ROI quick flip. If you want to pull them, put them aside for the long haul and try to put your kids through college on it, you know, whatever, go for it. But you're looking a gift horse in the mouth because the money is right there. And you can reinvest that money in a buy list. You know, there are, people are, stores are still getting their act together on buy listing for Larkana. So if you put a thing up on Facebook that you'll pay 60 or 70% of market or something for cards, and you're going to, here's your list of staples you're after, you might do very well with that. And you could take your case profits and reinvest it in the singles in that way, go after Rapunzel, Elsa, Maleficent, Bell, or some card that you think is going to be activated later. Because one of the things that's true is that, for instance, there's pirate cards in the first chapter set, but there isn't enough of them for the pirate deck to be good. So I was watching like a tier ranking and they were like, yeah, the pirate deck is like F tier for now. But what if they give you like three or four really big pirate cards down the road? They, they mentioned Captain Jack Sparrow because Pirates of the Caribbean is a Disney property too. So if they pull Captain Jack in there, maybe that's an awesome new deck and then everybody needs the pirate cards. So... There's all sorts of angles 
on this game just like there was with flesh and blood and it's going to be very fascinating to see how it plays out given how much stronger this ip is than flesh and bloods like i think flesh and blood is going to be a forgotten game in five years because their ip is extremely generic it's just fantasy there's really nothing special going on there and they haven't managed they seem very unlikely to ever break into the mainstream they're gonna have the same kind of problem as magic where they have by all accounts a pretty strong game it's fun to play it uh tests competitive skill well but it's going to be the ceiling on it is going to be so much lower than it is for Lorcana. so uh that was going to be my next question i wasn't able to find a lot about uh much of a a big pro tour a big uh Lorcana gathering kind of thing like a, a convention for it or competitions for it really yet but i imagine that's on their agenda I think that it's early for that unless they're willing to do that with a and back it with a mountain of product. Like if right. they took a picture of a 30-foot-tall pyramid of Lorcana product and said, San Diego, next weekend, sign up now here for a $100 Lorcana seal thing, they would make a killing. An absolute killing. Even though none of the pe- most of the people that would show up would be scalpers and or people who had never even had a chance to own cards before, even if they wanted to play... It would do extremely well. But then what else is going on at that event? <laughs> I, guess, right. I guess the thing about Disney IP is you can just have cosplayers walking around in a stitch thing and like taking pictures with people's kids. And that will be enough to pull families onto the floor. Which, as you and I both know, getting your partner to go with you to a magic event usually means that we're in Vegas. You and I are playing a two-headed giant event and our significant others are like shopping on the strip. Because they yeah. have zero interest on being on the floor. But Disney is a different animal. That might be different. So, I mean, the, the potential. And the other thing is, they also have effing theme parks. I was going to say, like, the... That function as potential tournament locations where they can do tie-ins, you know, stay, stay book five nights at, the, at Disney World and get a free box of Larkana. Ding, ding, ding. That will absolutely work. We've talked before about how Wizards has been unable to do effective tie-ins to, aside from the player rewards program, that was probably their best ability to tie in your magic experience to where you go, what you do, versus like your, your magic arena doesn't give you anything like compared to your what your DCI number used to do. So like we can see how an effective IP, and this is very effective, like you can get special cards for a month every time you go to a Disney park and whatever they decide to do. I had a a concept for a Vegas-based TCG, and the premise, without getting too deep into it, was that you would only be able to get certain decks from certain casinos. So you have to go to Macau to get one. You have to go to... Uh, you know, south of France to get another. You have to go to Vegas to get a third. And the whole idea was to tie it into their travel department to get people to go on a tour over the course okay. of a few years. And then you would play, basically, the it would be like a computerized game where you can have up to four people table their decks and the decks are digitally recognized and authenticated. And then the you're playing against a local boss so, you know, in Vegas, you fight the gra- the golden dragon or something. And in Macau, you fight something else. And in France, it's the, it's the Leviathan of the Deep. And the, the odds would be very similar to Vegas odds. But the, 
with a strong collectability aspect that's aimed at the next generations. Because I know that Vegas has been having trouble pulling in 20 to 40 somethings. Not only is it not part of their culture like it was for their parents, but they also don't have as much spare money. And they're going to need something to work around that by leveraging collectability is my guess. And the theme parks plus Larkana runs pretty close, like runs shoulder to shoulder to a lot of those, the, the premise of a lot of that and sets them up for all sorts of interesting cross promotion they can do should they so choose. I mean, can you imagine if there was some Locana equivalent of the Tron lands, only they were the different Disney parks and you can only get it by going to the Disney parks? <laughs> exactly. Like if they do exclusives that are exclusive to the parks, that's going to be wild. We haven't had a lot of co- like event exclusive new cards. That hasn't really been a thing since like the early, early Dalathanian Dragon at one of the Gen-, Gen Cons or something like that. But we have had a lot of Magic giving us unique art on cards and they've been content with that so it'll be fascinating to see like how deep this ip license runs and how interconnected they're gonna like is disney saying we're you're you're allowed to use our characters but you're only just doing the cards or is this going to be like with the full might and weight of everything disney like the cruises what are you going to get on a disney cruise you're going to get these special orcana cards on deck seven, come down and learn Lorcana at 11 a.m. after the buffet. Yeah, I could yeah, I mean, absolutely see that going down if they can get their act. So I mean, the, a, lot of, a, a lot of this has to do with distribution and release planning, right? Because currently right. they don't have enough product to make any of that happen. And Disney is also a very, like, wait-and-see monolith of a company where, you know, they want to see this unfurl for a while before they start making bigger and bigger commitments to tie in with it. Because if the game collapses and under its own weight or it's it's deemed, you know, YouTube fills up with, oh, this game is so bad to play, then Disney may pull the plug and, and just, you know, reboot in some other way down the road. But This must have been crazy expensive for Ravensburger to license, right? Yeah, but I suspect it's a lot of it is percentage-based. Like, there's definitely a huge upfront commitment payment, but there's a, a lot of it is probably backside. Like, they're, they're taking a percentage of sales would be my guess on the Disney side. Because so it's zero risk, yeah. Yeah, well, not zero risk for Ravensburg. They probably still had a big. Oh no, they've got all the risk. But from Disney's side, it's zero risk for sure. I mean, in, yeah, because they they maintain very careful control over how the IP is used. Like one of the things that's interesting in this game is there are a bunch of characters that are represented in ways that they aren't normally represented. Uh, I forget what they call it. I'd have to double check. But there's there's basically a bunch of like character. Uh, representations that like a giant Tinkerbell for instance is one of the cards right. Tinkerbell Tinkerbell's not giant there's no story moment where she becomes giant but they just do kind of like an you know a what if universe version of the characters to keep things interesting and give them more you know more card design space to play with and, and that looks like that will probably work out if I was going to point people at something that I think might be a worthwhile long-term hold, I would look at something like the first chapter gift set because right. they're going to put out a million of these over the years if it survives. But the very first ones that came out that look good on a shelf sealed that like YouTube streamers can put behind them, that probably gets there. Because those will be in, I would imagine they'll be in print for a year, maybe 18 months. You know, relatively small amount now, way more towards Christmas, maybe all the way into the spring. And then they're going to switch just different gift sets, right? 
to keep things interesting and, and keep people right. buying that don't need five of the same two basic beginner decks or whatever. So I would think the very first gift set probably appreciates. You know, if you believe Lorcana is going to be around in 10 years and the world's going to be around in 10 years, then a Lorcana first chapter gift set could go from, say, 50 bucks to 500 or something. I could believe that. If you gave, if you told me that it was definitely going to be around in 10 years, then yes, I would be on board with uh, sealing some of these up, uh, the gift sets especially. Because the problems, like we talked about with the with the first chapter, if you found right now uh, a set from Magic's first couple of years, you know whether it was an Antiquities or a Legends or whatever, and you said, "All right, the packaging is in Spanish, all and the box and the wrappers, but the cards are in English, and you can tell it by the uh, barcode number or whatever it is, and you could verify that, that would be." Well, I mean, pretty pennies. that's the thing, though. The English cases are all marked English, and then what's inside them is a surprise. And then to, it's a have surprise, to, yeah. And then you would have to open the wrapper to guarantee that it has English inside. So that's a lot of question marks to have around the first release. And I'm very surprised, A, they didn't go with shrink wrap. I'm, and, you know, B, quality control issues right out of the gate are not that surprising because it's their, you know, first kick of the can. But my understanding is this is a Cardamundi product, and they should know better. They should know better. It has a rushed kind of feel to it. The, the other thing is that, like, for instance, going back to the gift, bu- gift bundle, Rise of the Eldrazi Fat Pack. Any idea what the cheapest version of that is on TCG Player? Oh, man, the Fat Packs have all gone to insane places. They're all, like, $400, $500 things. Rise of the Eldrazi, lowest price. There's only two listings. One's at 800 The other's at uh, 1200 So That's I can, just madness. That's just collectors. I can easy, easily believe that a case, a sealed case of... Uh, early gift packs and stuff from Lorcana might be worth putting in the closet because those well, things, those things are sealed. They don't have Spanish cards in them and, you know, will be relatively easy to verify and authenticate. You've done a lot more collecting of other things than I have. So let me, let me throw a, a proposition at you. So we know that if the, if the game breaks out, does, well enough to keep going and disney starts putting other resources into it we know that the gift sets would be popular but for the subset of people who are just like it's disney i must own it like if this car if this game flops would there still be people who are like this disney game had all the ip going and they couldn't get it going and it just it was just doa would there be enough people to to make that collectible I think the kitchen table scene with your kids and the kids to kids in schools scene is probably strong enough with Disney IP that you don't actually need a competitive scene. I don't think it needs it at all. Like it helps for sure. Cause then you got players and kids playing together and whatever. And, and parents that eventually that, you know, are playing when they're 25 and have kids when they're 30 and then teach the kids how to play. That's kind of what you're after is generational, cross promotion but disney kind of achieves that automatically anyway through its ongoing you know being the biggest media company on the planet so that's a good point if you don't do a standard then you need like uh what one set a year well the thing is like there i would suspect i suspect that there will be a good way an arena type client for this pretty quickly like there's already kind of a, a third party one that apparently is quite good and i would imagine they will make it official and not too much further down the road within 6 to 12 months, maybe within 24. But that's that's part of any good digital marketing strategy for a game like this at this point. So I think that will exist. It exists for Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh! Very popular. 
And by all accounts, the Pokemon scene is not held up by the competitive folks. Like, way more people collect Pokemon than play Pokemon in a competitive environment. So I think that Lorcana can follow a very similar model. You're going to argue that people buy Pokemon more because they played the video games on their Game Boy when they were kids than, than because they have any interest in playing the game competitively. And I think the same is likely to be true for Lorcana. So if it's a good game on top of that, then that's bonus. And by all accounts, it's a solid game. Not an amazing one, but solid. And that's probably the sweet spot for this kind of product anyway. I mean, it, it's uh, I played around with it some, and I like the, the, the way that they do resources. It's a, a lot less um, oopsie mana screw. Like, there's no way that you would make a, a modern game with mana screw, honestly. So this is, has... is the deal. Is the deal remind me that any of your cards can be lands, or only the ones that are marked with certain symbols? Only the ones with certain symbols. The it has to have the ring around the top to go into your inkwell. Got it. Yeah, yeah, I see that. So and like Z- you... Zeus is a forecasting cost, but he can't go in the inkwell, whereas Aurora can. And if they can go in your inkwell, they don't have like Aurora has two inside her ring. That doesn't mean she represents two lands in the inkwell, does it? No, she's one card in the inkwell, and uh, you need to have two in the inkwell to cast Aurora. And it it has this interesting thing that uh, Magic played with with um, Toxic, where it has these cards all have power and toughness, but they don't uh, quest for the same number as their power. They quest for the stars on the side. For the the little symbols in the bottom right? Yeah. Yeah. Right, so Aurora quests for two, Zeus quests for two, etc. Mini Mouse is a one. Yeah, so they don't they don't deal damage equal to their power to the players. That's not how you you gain points on this. But uh, the the mechanics are solid, like you said. The gameplay is pretty straightforward. It is a sweet thing to like tap a character and do uh, to cast their song. That 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 makes you happy. You're just like if you don't start singing the song when it happens, like you are just a heartless individual. There's some b- pretty big flavor wins down that road, too, because I saw somebody on Twitter talking about getting the singer of the song from the movie to sign their playset of song cards for their deck. Yeah. And that's like chef's kiss. Like, that's really cool. That's up there with having the whole cast of Lord of the Rings sign your uh, magic Lord of the Rings stuff. I love it. I love yeah. it all. Get get the, get the new girl that's going to play the live action Little Mermaid to sign your Little Mermaid deck top to bottom. Seems like a, a brilliant thing to me. So yeah, I, I, I suspect this game's going to do well. I think it's got staying power um, because I think I think they've hit a sweet spot. From everything I've seen so far, they, they are likely to manage this in a way that'll keep keep the the folks buying. Um, from a finance perspective, I think it's going to get harder at the lower rarities for sure as time goes on, and it's going to end up a lot like Pokemon, where most cards you pull out of most packs are bulk. And the exceptions are the hyper high hyper playable competitive staples that also cross over in terms of being popular characters. So it's not a huge surprise that a strong Elsa um, is going to be worth a lot of money because you've just got frozen fans, the parents of those kids, plus the people that might also be frozen fans and are playing competitively. And the fact that that deck is a good deck. Like, I think, like, purple-blue control or something is one of the better decks. And, uh, yeah, I, I think they're going to get there. So we, we will definitely continue to have 
group buys where appropriate on Lorcana product in the ProTrader Discord. Pretty good reason to get involved. <laughs> uh, I've definitely talked to a few friends that aren't really all that interested on the Magic side, but are have definitely been uh, considering joining ProTrader just to get it on the Lorcana action down the road because their kids are into it. They're big fans of one or another of the various properties involved. And again, if they if they add Marvel and Star Wars, then all bets are off. That's going to be a huge home run. It also represents uh, this whole thing is a set of properties that Magic will probably never have access to. Yep. Yeah. I, I, I had uh, prophesized that there would be a Star Wars set, but we've seen out to 2025 now, and we know that that's not the case. So if they approached Disney, they were probably rebuffed, and at the time they probably didn't know why, and then when Lurcana was announced, they were like, oh, that's why. That's why they won't, <laughs> they won't let us do Star Wars. Because for sure, if they had a choice between 40K and Star Wars, it's not close, right? <laughs> it's not close, no. And and right. they, the, the only thing that's pretty good on their end is they own transformers they own gi joe they own some other properties where they can they can kind of play around in their own sandbox where they need to as they did with brothers war and the stuff that they've got on the agenda you know final fantasy is a pretty big get assassin's creed less so so you know we'll see what they can come up with down the road i'm sure they're they're crossing their fingers hoping this whole thing falls flat on its face but i think you're right they're probably locked out of marvel and in star wars for the time being because i would imagine that if ravensburger is not locked out of those and they have access on some conditional basis perhaps like hitting certain sales targets or whatever unlocks access to those properties but is not a crazy clause for them to have in their contract uh yeah, I, I mean, they're probably going to get there, and they're probably going to unlock that stuff if they haven't already. And I mean, Disney is looking at it and saying, Wizards of the Coast has this billion-dollar game that has these nobodies at the front of the game. Yes, that's, that's and, for sure the discussion at the board table. So they're thinking, if our game is even decent with the character power that we have, we are going to blow them out of the water. And Wizards is probably thinking, oh, snap they're right yeah they have they they need a couple of things to happen does ravensburger they need like something as good as arena and arena is is polished because they screwed up on magic online so many different ways but this game the lorcana is more straightforward but it, it has the the potential to to do a lot if it's managed correctly i mean there are definitely elements here that are nods to magic for sure, right. a bunch of these Tapping. mechanics. These mechanic. <laughs> these mechanics don't look like Pokemon. These mechanics look like magic with some tweaks. Like this is like presenting magic and then going back to the drawing board and changing twenty five percent of it or something to to something like that. Yeah, to to achieve flavor wins like characters that can sing songs, which is huge. Like the day they came up with that, they must have been like, oh, that yeah, that's the golden ticket right there. I don't think they worry too much about magic. They're they know that their competition is Pokemon. Because their competition in all media is Pokemon. Okay. So that that's you know their primary competitor in this sphere because it's the it's that kids plus strong IP thing that crossover crosses over into other media shows, movies, video games, merchandise, toys, clothing, the whole nine, and. They see Magic as, as you said, a billion-dollar game, and that's probably impressive to them. But they also see the wasted potential in a game that's 30 years old, but nobody can name its primary character. 
Man, does that seem like a fail and a half when you put it like that? And it's real simple. Hasbro has been chicken shit to put money into media for ages. They've been, they keep trying to do it where the partners take on the risk. And that is why they are where they are. If they would just pl- throw a bunch of money at, at a, cre- a good digital studio, and keep in mind, they've worked with at least two or three awesome animation studios at this point to put shorts together for right. their products. Like the, I was thinking the one, of the, the Neon Kamigawa one. Yeah. that and, and that particular studio in Japan is overbooked all the time. But, you know, even whatever studio handled the Matt Mercer project for Amazon and knocked their D&D show out of the park, which is their Hasbro's effing property to begin with, <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's a huge fail that they didn't pull it. I mean, if Matt Mercer's team of... Folks that started playing in their living room can pull that together for Amazon. Then Hasbro sure as hell should have. So yeah, they they have dropped the ball. Uh, Lorcana, backed by Disney, is going to figure out how to run with it, and I think this game is going to be around for a while. I agree with you on that. That does seem like the most likely outcome. All right, so that is our stuff for this week. Where can folks find you online, my friend? You can find me online on Twitter at Word of Commander or my articles every Friday on mtgprice.com. And you folks can find me online at MTG Critic on Twitter as well as via my occasional articles on mtgprice.com and my constant haunting of the ProTrader Discord. I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com ProTrader service for just $9.99 a month or $109.99 per year. You can make a whole bunch of money on Magic, Lorcana, just have fun with lots of nice, cool people that know stuff, get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, those low-cost group buys, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money, playing Magic the Gathering and lots of other games. Once again, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Please use a promo code FINANCE5, that's FINANCE with the number 5, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. That's it for today, James, and then uh, who knows what's going to happen before next week, buddy. Thank you, Cliff. Thank you, everybody. And we will see all of you next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance. Mm-hmm.